Coming up on this week's episode of the Hogbeat Hour with Nikki Chavanel and Andrew Hutchinson from hogbeat.com, we're going to be recapping Arkansas's loss to Mississippi State on the road. We've got TCU coming up on Saturday and a ton more recruits coming on campus. Arkansas just landed another commitment today, so they are rolling in the commits with two weeks to go until National Signing Day. Let's do it. Welcome to the Hogbeat Hour. I'm Nikki Chavanel. I'm here with Andrew Hutchinson. We are your Hogbeat insiders covering all your Arkansas Razorback sports. Um, it is currently Thursday, January 23rd. This will either be up tonight or you're, you're listening to this on Friday, but either way, um, a disappointing night on Wednesday for Arkansas playing on the road at Mississippi State. Um, I was having dinner with a friend, but keeping close tabs on this game because I thought, you know, Mississippi State had some strong points that Arkansas hasn't been able to defend really well, like, you know, strong big men and stuff like that. So um, I wanted to make sure maybe Arkansas could come away with it, but I wasn't really too positive about it. It seems like the fan base has... There, there's been a little bit of overreaction, I think, a little bit from the two back-to-back losses. What do you think? A little bit, but I mean, it's the things that have caused these two losses, both to Kentucky, a top 10 team full of five-star recruits, and um, now Mississippi State, which is led by Reggie Perry, obviously a five-star recruit uh, who Arkansas fans were familiar with. These teams were going to always be the teams that gave Arkansas problems. And so, honestly, the fact that Arkansas was able to stay within seven in both of those games was was kind of impressive. I mean, there were times against Mississippi State where I thought, all right, this, this is going to be, this is finally it. This is going to be the blowout. This is when they're going to lose by 15, 20 points. And, you know, they looked like it was going to happen. I, Mississippi State stretched it to about 11 with about four minutes left, something like that. And uh, Arkansas fought back into it. And even within the last minute, it pulled within five and made things kind of sort of interesting down the stretch. So, uh, honestly, I personally am a little bit encouraged by how they've been able to overcome their uh, deficiencies and things like that, uh, even against these teams that we always knew were going to give them fits. It just seems like maybe the fans that aren't paying too much attention but have been seeing Arkansas rack up wins, they see a loss to Mississippi State and they're like, I thought we were we were so good, why didn't we beat them? Well, you know, you have to really dig into it. If you looked at the stat comparison that you wrote pregame, it was pretty clear that Arkansas was going to struggle. Um, and then to add on top of that, that Arkansas just didn't shoot that well. Isaiah Joe had a cold night. All those factors. Um, did you listen to Musselman's postgame? I did, and it was very... You could tell he was frustrated. I mean, that yeah. dude that dude does not like to lose. He hasn't lost back-to-back games since 2016, so it has been quite a while. I'm sure, you know, he, he got new assistants, but the guys that have worked with him uh, at Nevada, they're, they're probably very surprised to have lost another game back-to-back. But people are just – they hear guys like Coach, Coach Calipari say, like, oh, Arkansas has been – 
good despite their their size issues you don't really see them pop up well he's kind of supposed to say that you're not supposed to say that you're really worried about anyone you're gonna prop up your opposing team just like Alabama said oh well Arkansas does some good things you know during football but that's not really the case there's still a lot of deficiencies for this team but the bright side is I mean look at the guys Arkansas has coming in they've been crushing it in their senior seasons um, doing it on ESPN and ESPNU and all kinds of channels doing like these tournaments over the weekend scoring in double digits rebounding all that kind of stuff so four four stars coming in you can only be positive about the future of this program yeah I mean you're seeing what Eric Musselman's doing with the hand he was dealt by the previous coaching staff you know minus you know he added Jimmy Witt through the transfer market, transfer portal. Uh, but it's still, you're like, man, if he's doing this well with these kind of guys, with no one in a starting lineup of uh, high, taller than 6'6", six, six, no one on the eligible on the roster taller than 6'8", man, what, what are they going to do when they actually get a Jalen Williams in here who's you know 6'10", or whatever it is, and you know he gets these Moses Moody types who are, you know, really high four stars and what's he going to do when he gets his players in here that and I think that's what people are excited about and I mean if you look at what he did at Nevada you know he he had pretty good success his first year even though he inherited a roster that had lost a ton of games I think he had like an, a, an improvement of like 14 wins or something like that in year one uh, obviously you're not going to see that big of an improvement for Arkansas because they did finish above 500 last year but you're seeing them be a lot better than what the people expected and then obviously at Nevada his next couple of years that's whenever they made the huge jump made a run to the Sweet 16 etc that's what I think Arkansas fans should be looking at and being like man that that's coming down the pipe but obviously you're concerned about right the here now for right now I don't want to you know beat a dead horse or anything like that I know a lot of people still have very high regard for Mike Anderson and they should but this team what it would have been if he had still been the coach this season I can't even it it would have been so much worse I mean I can't imagine what his plan was after Daniel Gafford was leaving with with what he had left over it just didn't make any sense like the amount of recruits they were recruiting and then he had Justice Hill which doesn't really even work into the rotation because you already have Jalen Harris and Oh, it it just didn't make any sense recruiting that guy, even though he was, you know, a high prospect in the state and everything. But you needed a big man, and they weren't really even pursuing it. And then you had Ibi Alley the year before, who Baylor didn't want to take, so he ended up leaving his NLI there and coming here and not contributing anything. It just, I don't know, I'm very, very impressed with Eric Musselman was able to do with the portal. Silla was able to get a little bit more active <laughs> last night as well, even after, what did you say about him? Uh, I, and <laughs> I, I was not very nice with what I said about him on the message board. I, I made the comment that he had been, I think I said he was horrible, uh, and that he <laughs> was contributing nothing, and that it was a major disappointment. And naturally, what does he do? He hits a layup and then hits a three, uh, kind of really is five points in the first half, kind of helped Arkansas stay in the game. And uh, so who knows, maybe maybe Scylla is a, a, a reader of the Hogbeat message board. I mean, five points in 17 minutes, it's it's not great, but it was what Arkansas needed at the time. And what he's been giving them, that, that's amazing. Yeah, he. Uh, I think he's only had one game with more points than five points a game. It so, was the first time he'd made a bucket since November 22nd. Oh, boy. So, yeah. Um, and a lot of people are questioning 
Musselman's like the short rotation that he uses. To me, it makes a lot of sense. If you look at the bench, you don't have guys that are big scores. You got to put the guys that are going to rebound and score the most on the court, and that's what he's been doing for the most part. Um, Adrio Bailey, I saw people complaining about him last night. What did he do? Uh, I don't know what he has. I, was it the free throws that he missed? Oh yeah, well he's he's really been struggling at the free throw line. I mean, he went I think one for six against uh, Kentucky at the mm-hmm. free throw line. Uh, you know, he's never been a great free throw shooter, but he's always been around the 60% mark. And I think he, uh, let's see, what did he make last night at the free throw line? Um, he went. O of two? Oh, oh. oh. O of two. O so of two, so yeah. Wasn't that bad. So O of two, but he was one of six last game, okay. so now he's one of eight. You know, yeah. If he just shoots his average, he makes five of those instead of just one. So, I mean, yeah, he. He's really been struggling from that perspective, but he's still, in my opinion, been playing really good defense. He's been guarding players a lot bigger than him, causing them fits down low. You know, Reggie Perry had a nice game for Mississippi State, but if you look at a lot of the damage, as Musselman pointed out both in the postgame last night and then again in the SEC Coaches Teleconference on Thursday, that he did a lot of his damage at the free throw line. I mean, he attempted more uh, free throws, I think made more free throws, than Arkansas attempted as a team. So, that's where he did his damage. He wasn't just, you know, they weren't feeding him down on the block and him just dominating. Uh, it was, I thought, pretty good defense by both you know, Adrio and then also Reggie played well and then some of the other guys also helping out. So I think Adrio is still, he's never been a big-time scorer, uh, but he's been a key and helping them on, on defense. Yeah, he just needs to work on when he does have the opportunity to score. He's He's got to be able to do it. Um, so Arkansas is now 14 and 4, 3 and 3 in SEC play, which I believe is, you know, top of the, you know, bottom. I think it's middle of the pack. Middle middle of the pack. Um, and then they have TCU coming into Bud Walton on Saturday. That's slated for 3 p.m. Um, it's the Big 12, Big 10? Big 12. Big 12. <laughs> Big 12 SEC the Big challenge. 12 of 10 teams. It ha- was Arkansas in that last year? Yes, they've been in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. I'm pretty sure every year it's been in existence, I think. They usually play... Is it just the bottom four teams that don't get to participate? Well, it's four teams. I don't know how they pick who doesn't. I think they maybe project and everything. So I was a little bit surprised that Arkansas was still in it. Uh, I think they like to have Arkansas in it because there is some old Southwest Conference ties with it, just like TCU, former Southwest Conference rival. Uh, I don't know if that actually has anything to do with it, but the Arkansas usually, you know, they've played Oklahoma State a couple times, Iowa State, uh, Texas Tech. So this is the first time they've played TCU in the in the challenge. Um, TCU's played some tough opponents so far this year. They lost um, to a ranked West Virginia, but just the other day they beat number 18 Texas Tech. So looks like they're coming into Arkansas hot, but it is very hard to win in Bud Walton. So... Uh, overall, I'd still say I like Arkansas's chances without looking too much into what TCU brings to the table. Yeah, and I heard something uh, earlier today. I haven't had a chance to double-check this myself, uh, but I did hear that Eric Musselman has never lost three games in a row as a head coach. All right, uh, so uh, I'll it, take it. I, I think that Eric Musselman is going to I, – I honestly, I would be – I would love to get an honest answer from Musselman as to how much he sleeps between now and the TCU game because I just have a feeling he's going to be up at all hours of the night figuring out a game plan, figuring out some way – 
for Arkansas to beat TCU and get back on track. His poor dog, Swish, is going to be like, can I please go to sleep? (laughs) (laughs) I'm done listening to this. All right, guys, when we come back, um, it is Rivals Rankings Week. We're two weeks away from signing day. Arkansas got some bad news, but also some good news today. So it's, you know, we've got lots to talk about when we come back. Hey everybody, we're back. It's the Hogbeat Hour with Nikki and Hutch. Uh, we are from Rivals.com. If you don't know, you can get 30 days free pretty much any time. Of course, not if you've done it before, but you can get 30 days free with code HAWGS30 on Hogbeat.com. It'll get you through signing day and all that good stuff, so try us out. I promise you'll like it. Um, Hutch, what are what would you say are the benefits of signing up for Hogbeat? I think the number one thing is the trough. I mean, the, yeah. the message board is, is incredibly entertaining. I've been a part of message boards at other places, and none of them have been as entertaining uh, as, as this one. So if, if any of our subscribers are listening, keep up the good work. Uh, I, <laughs> I always enjoy uh, checking it, you know, late at night or whatever and cracking up uh, with some of the stuff y'all say. So it is highly entertaining, plus also highly educating. Uh, Nikki is all over the recruiting. I try to bring you, uh, you know, all the stats and everything and keep you up to date with everything. But uh, that, that to me is the number one benefit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I spend 10 bucks all the time, Ten, $10 for premium, really well-informed Razorback content is pretty much nothing. So sign up. We'd love to have you. All right, it's Rivals Rankings Week, and this morning the uh, Hogbeat subscribers were not too happy, coincidentally, because um, the most likely uh, 2020 quarterback commit for Arkansas, Malik Hornsby, He was dropped from four stars to three stars after uh, some up-and-down reviews from his performances at the Adidas All-American Bowl and the Polynesian Bowl. Um, So if you don't know, they practice all week and then they compete in the bowl. Um, At the Adidas All-American, Hornsby hardly got any time in the actual game, but analysts watch him during the week. He's, without a doubt, a fantastic athlete. He's got great legs, great speed. Um, like for real track speed, but um, his arm, I mean, it's very, very, very strong, but people were just saying that he wasn't super accurate, not hitting guys on the hands, stuff like that. So um, they dropped him down to a three-star, but he is the highest ranked three-star, I believe, in the dual threat ranking. So overall, all it really costs Arkansas are 15 points, but um, Arkansas fans feel like this might you know be a conspiracy against Arkansas that uh, the analysts just don't want Arkansas to have nice things what do you think you've been following Arkansas recruiting for a long time yeah I can see where the Arkansas fans are coming from because there have been recruits you know even last year with Hudson Henry going from like the number one or number two tight end to you know out of the rivals 250 Uh, so Arkansas fans have seen this happen and they remember that's the key the key is that they remember these things happening <laughs> they don't remember the guys like you know KJ Jefferson getting the last little bump getting up to a four star he was like number 249 yeah, when he exactly. debuted in the 250 like right before the end of the ranking and so TQ Jackson got a bump uh I think Mateo Soli got a bump uh, Zach so, Williams Zach Zemos there were so many guys that weren't four stars when they committed to Arkansas and then ended up four stars exactly or even guys that maybe start out as a 
5.53 star. I ended up getting to a, a 5.73 star. So right. there are guys that get a bump. You just don't remember those. You just always remember them as four-star players. What you don't, what you do remember are the guys that, that start out as four-stars, and you're super excited. Hey, this guy's a four-star. I think Connor Noland a couple of years ago was the same way. I think he was a four-star, and then eventually ended up dropping down to a three-star, kind of like Hornsby. Uh, so you remember them as a four-star, but you go back and look, oh, what the heck, they're three-stars. So it, it, I can see why Arkansas fans feel this way. There's a little bit of a, you know, everyone, you know, is out to get us. Well, all Arkansas, you know, no one likes us. Uh, I understand it, but you also got to look at it from the perspective of, you know, these the people who are doing these ratings – they drop some that are, you know, guys that are committed to other schools as well. Whenever and other, when people jump, if you see an Arkansas guy jump up a little bit, that means someone else is going down. Yeah. There, you can't. Everyone can't always go up. Yes, exactly. So, if you go across message boards in the Rivals Network today, you'll see people posting and complaining, and that's because guys that they really liked or thought deserved more got dropped, and that's just what happens because. Yes, while Malik Hornsby started out in the Rivals 250 as a recruit towards the beginning of his career, over time, after his senior season, he was dropped out of the 250, and now finally he's, uh, I think, the number 14 dual threat and a three-star. And the thing is, these analysts, by the final ranking, that is when they hope to be 100% right. Like, they don't want to have two Super Bowl quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes and who's the other one? Jimmy Garoppolo. And Jimmy Garoppolo have three stars and two stars. They want to be right. They want to see that, oh, we ranked them five stars, and clearly that's exactly what they are. But Jimmy Garoppolo went to Eastern Illinois. So many FBS coaches over... 130 FBS coaches. 130 FBS coaches couldn't see what the rivals analysts also couldn't see so it's like how can you blame these guys and especially for a from a guy like jimmy garoppolo i'm not 100 percent sure where he was from but i think he was from illinois so that's just not an area that analysts make it up to very often and arkansas fans know this very well because analysts don't often make it up to arkansas because of the number of division one talents in the state they have to spend most of their time in Texas, in Florida, in Louisiana, in California, the states that produce the most because of their limited amount of time. Rivals has maybe 10 analysts that hit the road and go and look at all these prospects, and it's just not possible to thoroughly follow all of them from the time they get their first offer until they sign with the program. You have to make some assumptions, some guesses, some projections and if you start off with a kid as a four star you might find after watching him for two more years that he's just not as good as you thought and the goal is to be right by signing day um i see you're looking at patrick mahomes isn't that crazy but how many offers did he have yeah three offers offers. with, with the others being houston and rice yeah so but also i mean the other thing too is he was number he was the number 12 dual threat quarterback in the class of 2014 so hornsby being number 14 even even that's so, high for a guy with yeah, three offers. That and plus <laughs> for for Hornsby being a 5.73 star is not a bad thing. That you're still a good player. You are a high three star. I don't know the exact numbers. I don't have them right in front of me. But I mean, there's like what 30, 32 five stars in every class. You know, probably what a couple hundred uh, 
four stars. So that's like the top, let's just say 300 players are four or five star recruits. I think it's 390 this class. 390. It, it sometimes varies class to class, but they try to keep it less than 400. Exactly. But if you think about it, there's 130, let's just say 65 power five schools. They're signing 25 players. I don't have a calculator. Well, let's see here. 65, <laughs> 65, 65 times 25. That's 1,625 players, and only 400 of them, thereabouts, so about 25%, are going to be four- or five-star recruits. People expect the rivals or 247 or ESPN analysts to be better than the college coaches recruiting them, and I just don't think that's possible. They miss all the time, so are the rivals analysts going to miss. It's just... A lot of it comes down to personal opinion. Honestly, you see a kid, you try to compare him to someone you also thought was as good as him, and then you probably give him the same ranking. A lot of these guys aren't former college coaches or even players or maybe even high school football players. They just love football, and they've seen a lot of it. Um, and I'm sure that's the case for a lot of the fans who are bashing them um it's just the business that they got into i don't know why more former coaches or former players aren't in the business i think it's fantastic maybe because it's like they don't get on tv you see quite a few of those but i would welcome it i i think it would do a lot for the business but you know, plus a lot of former players aren't really great writers and i think yeah. that you know you have to be able to do both and that's what makes the job so unique and the other thing, too, is the people that do do this, like the, the analysts both at, at Rivals, at 247, even ESPN, like, they're right more times than not. I mean, if you really actually look at the numbers, you know, people always freak out when the NFL draft rolls around and there's, like, you know, 16 of the 32 players are, you know, three-star or worse. But it's also like, yeah, but there's thousands of three-stars every year. There's, like, tens of thousands two- or no-star recruits. I mean, that's going to happen. One of those guys is going to come out of nowhere, like a Jimmy Garoppolo, and be a great player. However, if you look at it, the five stars, there's only like 30, as we said, 32 of them every year, something like that. 50% of them go on to get drafted. And when you're dealing with high school kids, I mean, I remember when I was a high school kid, you know, but a lot of my friends, man, I had no idea what they were going to do. I mean, all these guys, you know, you never you see guys change their major all the time, you know, whether you know non-athletes or not. Uh, they things change. You develop differently. You go through growth spurts. I mean, Scottie Pippen grew six or seven inches once he got to college. Uh, so to be able to say you hit at a fifty percent rate that fifty percent of these five-star players go on to get drafted, that's pretty good. And if you follow any of the analysts on Twitter on draft day, they'll. They'll go out and post their rival's profile and be like, well, we told, like, they're very upfront about who they missed on and who they were right about because they take pride in the work that they do. Um, if you go back and look at a guy like Dre Greenlaw or someone like that, like, he, he's a special case because he's had a lot to deal with in his life but who knows if having three stars or two stars like push someone to work even harder and who knows if maybe a five star just kind of rested on their rankings when they got to college and never turned into anything you see it happen all the time so it doesn't really mean much but the stars definitely are a correct indication of talent 
And plus the at team, the time. plus the teams that always get the most four and five star recruits are always the teams that win national championships. It's not a coincidence that Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, those teams are constantly playing for national championships. I've seen a step before, like you have to have had at least like one or two top ten recruiting classes to win a national championship since like during the yeah. rankings era. You have to have a top ten recruiting class, or you're not going to win a national championship. People like to say that like. It's the other way around. Like the analysts watch the teams and then say, "Oh, those th- that team is so good. Their recruits must be five stars." But that's not really how it works. A lot of these kids get ranked before analysts know where they're going to school. So it's 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 very hard to say that they, there's any real correlation there. It's really just the best programs recruit the best because that's what you have to do. Um, it's so rare to see a team. I think. I did a a breakdown of teams in the top 15 and like where they finished in recruiting and only every so often will you see a new team crack in there because it's just it's so competitive at the top when someone's that good at something it takes a lot for them to fall down like Ole Miss and getting caught cheating or something like that. Um, (laughs) I can't even go into like the background of recruiting people always say like the new commit today ebony jackson he had offers from alabama and tennessee and other programs and people who don't really know about recruiting they look at that and be like oh they picked they picked arkansas over alabama like no <laughs> it's not how recruiting works there's so much involved in it and it's so interesting and that's why when i first got into it like i didn't really i didn't understand anything I, it didn't really mean anything to me and then you dive into the process and you see how interesting it is and it's very fun to follow these kids stories um i highly encourage you guys to get on hogbeat.com and read up on that new commit because he's got quite an interesting backstory that you might not read about anywhere else um coming up arkansas got five new additions this past weekend and they also have seven more official visitors coming in this weekend so i'll walk you through all of those Okay, you guys ready to keep going? Let's do it. So, arguably, one of the biggest lands of this class so far is now Felipe Franks, the former Florida Gator. Um, He decided to pick Arkansas, what was it, Monday? I think so. Yeah, Monday. So, the day before he had to be back here for class, he was already back in Fayetteville. He left Sunday, packed real quick, and then got back up here. I had a pretty good idea that he was going to pick Arkansas. He had visited Kansas in December, and I think if he had liked Kansas enough, he just would have decided then, but Arkansas came calling, and he came to visit. Um, He was very quiet when I talked to him. He gave me about 45 seconds of his time, blessed, Uh, but it it was great. Um, He seems to have found a fit here with Kendall Bryles. He liked everything that he had to say. but a lot of people don't want him. Maybe now they do after we've like jammed it into them how good he could be. Um, but a lot of people still aren't sure. Um, I know that you wrote a very nice story on how he is not Nick Starkle. Kind of walk me through that. Well, I mean, if you just look at him, they, they, 
it was really convenient that both of them were in the class of 2016. Right, so you yeah. could easily look at how they compared, you know, their careers have kind of uh, gone uh, so far. And, you know, Franks, I mean, he was a 6.0 four-star. I mean, for those who don't know how Rivals works, if you're a 6.1, you're a five-star. 6.0, you are one notch below. Yeah. So, I mean, he was the number 57 overall player in the country, number three pro-style quarterback, uh, you know, behind Jacob Eason and K.J. Costello, both of which have also transferred. K.J. Uh, is about to go to Mississippi State, yes. which sucks Yeah, for everybody else, but exactly. uh, good for them. And, uh, you know, he was a couple of spots ahead of Dwayne Haskins, who was first-round draft pick. So, I mean, you can tell that he had a lot of potential, you know, for comparison. Starkle, he was a 5.73 star, which, as we discussed, Still a good player, good prospect, but he wasn't in the Rivals 250. He was the uh, the number 15 uh, quarterback, so several spots behind. You know, they they look differently as well. I mean, Felipe Franks. I mean, he's gonna he's probably gonna draw some comparisons naturally to Ryan Mallett just because he is a big six foot six. <laughs> strong arms quarterback. He's not as imposing. When you stand next to him, he's not like Ryan Mallett's like, whoa. But yes, he's very large. <laughs> yes. Six foot six compared to six foot three Starkle. Yeah. So I mean there's definitely a difference there. Seems to be some more mobility with Franks than Starkle. Starkle was not mobile at all and he even know uh, knew it. He joked about it with the media, uh saying that he could be mobile enough uh, before the season. Uh, them, both of them, you know, when, when you look at it, you know, the thing that freaked people out is whenever we say, hey, Arkansas's landed a, a transfer quarterback with SEC starting experience, that's where everyone was like, oh, God, not again, because Starkle had SEC experience. However, he started like five games at Texas a yeah. Felipe Franks, he started like 24 games at mm-hmm. Florida. Big difference. Plus, Florida won 10 games with him last year. Now, obviously, it wasn't all him. He was on a very talented team with a very good coach and Dan Mullen, but still, that's 10 games, uh, and he the stats are similar. I, I would say Starkle maybe has better stats, but again, the sample size was a lot smaller. Uh, so from that perspective, plus if you also look at the situation, Starkle came in with Ben Hicks. There was going to be a competition. Anytime you bring in two graduate transfer quarterbacks, you know, the saying is if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. Well, I don't know what it means when you have two graduate transfer quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah, I'd never seen that before. I, and was, I don't know. I can't imagine it ever unique. happening again. Like, that. that's just very unusual unless you know for certain one of them's coming in just for a depth perspective. They had to have it. such a good relationship with Ben Hicks yeah. to convince him and then to convince him that, you know, they weren't totally screwing him over bringing in Nick Starkle with him. Which they ended up doing that. Yes. Uh, but, you know, so it's completely different. You know, plus, you know, those guys were, were playing under Joe Craddock, a guy who I like Joe Craddock as a guy. I, I think he knows football. He just was a very inexperienced, didn't have a really big track record of, of putting together really good offenses. Whereas Kendall Bryles, I mean, that, that's what he's been doing. I mean, it's in his blood. You know, say what you want about his dad. But Kendall knows football, and he knows offense He's had success at Baylor. He's had success at Florida Atlantic. He had success at Houston. And comparatively speaking, he had success at Florida State. Yeah, um, and Felipe Franks, his best season, still took the Gators to a Peach Bowl. He was able to play in some very tough games. If you take out, I think it was 18 drops that his receivers had that year, he was completing um, a little bit over, I think it was 64%. So that's not bad compared to what Arkansas has currently, well, now they have Franks, but before him, they just had Jack Lindsay, a former walk-on, longtime holder. Um, they had 
John Stephen Jones, who got his shot and just couldn't really do much. And then K.J. Jefferson, who just doesn't look polished enough to start quite yet. I, I think it's going to be fantastic for K.J. to be behind Felipe Franks and whoever they manage to get, which, again, I still think it's going to be Malik Hornsby. I would be very surprised and pretty disappointed if Riles couldn't get Hornsby after all of the recruiting that he's done with him at FSU, at FAU, and at Houston. He's been recruiting him for a very long time. Um, so I don't see any downsides with Franks. People want to point to his attitude, but the Florida Gators still wanted him around after his injury, after they knew he probably wasn't coming back. Like, he was still around his teammates. Coaches had good things to say about him. So if they like him, I don't see why. Arkansas fans won't like him. Yeah, I mean, he was one of the guys, you know, you see it all the time, guys who, even if they don't get hurt, you know, they play four games and they just say, hey, I'm out of here. I mean, we saw it with Jonathan Nance at Arkansas a couple of years ago. That, you know, you could say, hey, maybe he's not the best teammate. But as you said, he, he was around the team. He practiced with, the, practiced with the team, traveled with the team to their bowl game, and, you know, was trying to help as much as he could. So I think he's definitely an upgrade. And, you know, I understand why Arkansas fans are – you know, a little bit skeptical. You know, they they've been hurt a couple of few too many times, uh, and they saw it last year. Everyone was like, "Oh, there's no way that Nick Starkle and Ben Hicks aren't better than what we had with Cole Kelly and Ty Story." And then, well, we saw Ty Story come in here and whoop them. So, I think they're a little skeptical. They're going to need to see it to believe it. At least Arkansas and Florida don't play each other, <laughs> so we won't have to deal with those most likely very annoying storylines. I hate when a storyline is just so obvious that it's like, do we really have to talk about it? But alas, of course you do. And San Jose um, State's not on the schedule, so you won't <laughs> see Nick Starkle. How about that for a story? <laughs> Ooh, oh, man, I totally even forgot about that. That's just so nuts. That's the he, most ironic thing of all time. It's so, it's very odd, and Nick Starkle is, is, an, is an odd fella. Uh, I luckily was able to get a quote from him talking about how he wanted to go there because they had the, the particular graduate program he was wanting. But still, he's got to recognize the fact that I think he tweeted something. He was complaining about all the Arkansas fans tweeting at him. Well, what did you expect? You threw five interceptions yeah. against this team and then went and joined them. Yeah, that's got to be one of the craziest stories ever. Um, yesterday, you also wrote a story comparing potentially what Franks could be in the SEC compared to the other SEC West returners. And this is surprisingly not a super strong year for SEC West quarterbacks. So where did you have him ranked? I have him right in the middle of the pack. I had him fourth out of the seven. Now, obviously, that was going on the assumption that Mississippi State starter was right. going to be Garrett Schrader. Now it looks like it's going to be K.J. Costello. I'm going to have to rethink that one because I think K.J. was – pretty good at Stanford and playing in a Mike Leach offense that's that's going to be kind of scary so uh, maybe he goes gets bumped down to the number five spot but uh, it is as you said not a very strong year I mean it wouldn't surprise me if he was better than you know uh, like I have Bo Nix from Auburn ahead of him and, and Bo Nix really didn't have you know everyone like talked like he was the second coming but he completed 57 percent of his passes uh, 16 touchdowns six interceptions you know not not spectacular numbers. Uh, he was the SEC freshman of the year, not rightfully so, in my opinion, over right. uh, the defensive back uh, Derek Stingley at mm -hmm. LSU. Uh, but he, he maybe he makes a jump forward. Maybe he regresses under new offensive coordinator Chad <laughs> Morris. I don't know. The point is there's not 
that much of a difference between Kellen Mond at A&M and now Felipe Franks at Arkansas. Like, the distance is not very great. So, who knows? It's, exactly. It's anybody's game Two this is year. gone. <laughs> Joe Burrow's gone. So, it, it's it's all open. Arkansas didn't lose many to the NFL this year. So no, no. Only Cam Curl. Returning a lot of talent. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, guys, when we get back, I'm going to wrap up what to expect from recruiting this weekend, and we'll let you go. Stay tuned. All right, everybody, I've got you for six more minutes. I'm going to try to squeeze in all the information that I can into those six minutes so you really get your time's worth. Um, Arkansas just got a new commit today, um, three-star Georgia running back Ebony Jackson. Uh, He flipped from Maryland. Uh, Maryland ended up signing two running backs in the early period, basically taking away his spot, but um, he didn't decommit until after he came to official visit, officially visit Arkansas and ended up committing uh, a few days later. So he's uh, maybe an academic qualifying issue kind of guy, but uh, I think overall I like Arkansas taking a risk on this player. He's a guy that schools like Alabama and Tennessee were good enough to offer. Georgia was heavily looking into him about a year ago before he ended up tearing his ACL and MCL and his meniscus and missing most of his senior season. But he's a track guy with a 10-7 in the 100, so incredibly fast, great hands. I like that they're taking a risk on him. We will see if he ends up qualifying and making it to Arkansas. If he does, they are projected right now to have seven running backs in that room next season. Um, I expect a guy like Chase Hayden, who ended up redshirting after four games this past season, I expect him to graduate this semester and probably leave. Other than that, I don't really know who would leave, um, but a great room with a lot of talent in there for 2020. Other than that, Arkansas is hosting seven official visitors this weekend, including two commits, Joe T. Robinson, inside linebacker J.T. Towers will be here this weekend, as well as uh, Crowley, Texas running back Dominic Johnson, who has already signed his NLI and he is locked into the 2020 class. Um, A former commit will be here, three-star McKinney North, Texas tight end Brandon Frazier. Uh, He committed to Arkansas long ago, decommitted when Chad Morris was fired. Arkansas was one of his first offers. But since then, uh, Alabama, Auburn, and Texas Tech have moved their way up to the top with Arkansas, and he is down to really Arkansas, Auburn, and Texas Tech. I don't know how much ground John Cooper can make up here, but it looks like Auburn and Texas Tech have separated themselves at the top. He's only going to be here for one night, which is um, half the time that a normal official visit is. So. We will see how much headway they can make. They're not very confident that Arkansas can flip Brandon Frazier back their way. Um, There there are two flip targets this weekend. Robert Scott, the Conway offensive tackle, he's committed to Ole Miss and has been since June. Uh, Javon Baker, he is a four-star wide receiver committed to Alabama, and he's been committed since November of 2018. So... Two guys that have been committed for a while to other SEC West schools. Obviously, Arkansas has more of an in with Robert Scott being from Arkansas, but he's also considering Ole Miss, and he just took 
an official visit to Florida State. Javon Baker, uh, he didn't sign early, and that's because uh, Alabama isn't quite sure if he's going to make it uh, to campus, and neither is Arkansas, but they're willing to risk that and see if he'll flip to the Razorbacks. He's the 109th ranked player in the nation. Arkansas will also have two quarterbacks on campus, very big time. Uh, the number one target, Malik Hornsby, 6'3", 180, dual threat from Texas. He's a now a 5.73 star. He's fully good to go. He can qualify, all that good stuff. But Baylor and Georgia are also recruiting him very hard right now, and he'll have to decide between the two for where he wants to visit next weekend. Um, I think Arkansas is in a very good place there with um, – Kendall, Kendall Bryles recruiting him and has been for a while, but we'll see because he does have a long relationship with Baylor as well, and they held on to um, associate head coach Joey McGuire over there at Baylor, so there's probably still some continuity there for him. Um, C.J. Dixon, Grayson High School dual threat quarterback, he's coming in as well. Arkansas hasn't officially offered him yet because it's unclear if he will qualify. He's a three-star dual threat. Um, he ended up um, committing to Illinois. He couldn't get qualified to sign early. Um, the Fighting Illini ended up signing a three-star out of Florida instead. Um, that guy committed two days after C.J. Dixon decommitted. So two quarterbacks. You have some options there. You definitely want Malik Hornsby, but he's said that he's going to wait until the national signing day. So we have all the way to wait until February 5th, but if he doesn't automatically commit to Arkansas after his visit, I wouldn't worry about it too much. I still think they have a very good chance of pulling him into this recruiting class. All right, everybody, that's pretty much it. Um, I do expect maybe a couple pieces of good news this weekend, but other than that, I think Arkansas is really laying the groundwork for signing day now with it just two weeks away. Arkansas has 16 commits. I know they're trying to get up to the 21, 22, 23 range, even maybe all the way up to a full class at 25. But right now, they're sitting at 56th in the nation, one four-star in Miles Slusher. Uh, a lot of four-stars are already signed. There's only like 41 left in the country to choose from, so it's not surprising that there aren't more so far. But I think Arkansas is really salvaging this class with the amount of time that they've been given. Thanks, everybody. Have a fantastic weekend. Uh, we'll have coverage of the TCU game on Saturday on Hogbeat, so lock in. Uh, use the free code if you have to, HOGS30, H-A-W-G-S-30. Have a good one.